What's up, Nostalgia Pod? Coming back at you. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. We are bringing you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. Dave, welcome back, man, from the Meadows. Yeah, dog. We did two pods last week, and you went to the Meadows. We're fucking grinding. I know. It was uh, all about that content this week. You know, I was uh, covering the uh, festival, <laughs> for the media badge. Dude, we really do pod, have to obviously. Badges, yeah, we're, we're get, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, it was a great three days in uh Well, Queens. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. We're going to be talking a lot of stuff today. We're going to be talking about the Meadows, Emmy win- winners, J.J. Abrams, and then some uh, Foo Fighters and Mother. But, Dave... Tell me about your weekend at the Meadows. I mean, I, I saw a lot of a lot of Snapchats that made me extremely jealous. Very upset I didn't see Gorillas, but it sounded like you enjoyed a lot of other artists this weekend. We had previewed the, the lineup when it first dropped, you know, many months ago. SoundCloud Contest, SoundCloud Pod. As we talked about a little bit last week about expectations. The hip hop lineup obviously was why I, I was there. It was really strong and a nice mix of old school and new school acts which was very rare rolling loud the lineup the fest hip-hop festival in miami we talked about was primarily new school apart from like run the jewel so the fact that we had young and old was rare in itself but i think what really stood out to me was the special guests were just incredible this year and a big part of that was uh, ll cool j yeah who shut it down uh, the day before he was presenting an award at the Emmys, because, you know, he's, he's everywhere. He brought out Q-Tip and Jirobi from A Tribe Called Quest, and they did a war, war tour. He brought out DMC for It's Tricky from Run DMC. And he brought out Grandmaster Flash and Furious 5 to do, do the message. Like, it was an amazing set. And then on the other side, New School, Future, who was actually really solid live, brought out Nicki Minaj and Yo Gotti for a song, and then Young Thug for three songs. Mask off. Fucking mask off. Yo, our friend Brent Hines, friend of the pod. Yep, I was with him all weekend. <laughs> he was. He sent me a video of Future performing mask off because I asked him to. But my uh, then he was like, yo, he brought out Nicki, and I was like, oh, no, I miss Nicki. Uh, like, I'm not even yeah. a huge Nicki fan, but like that, that's some fucking star power to just like bring out as a guest. Like for one song. Exactly. And that's, you can go to Nikki's Instagram and there's like a backstage video and her caption's like, watch the crowd. They all realize I'm there at different times. They just get louder. And this was, <laughs> that was the only time where there was a rapid like push where everyone got much closer because everyone lost their shit. Cause yeah, it's Nikki Minaj. It's a huge star. And she's also from Queens, but she wasn't expected to be there. Especially to do uh, her feature on a new Yogati song. Like just, you didn't expect it. But then, right. Fucking thugger, dude came out and did all about the money but then did lifestyle his best mm-hmm. song and that was epic <laughs> gorillas showed out with their guests they had dram and push a t right. and most deaf and little sims and a bunch of other singers and that was really cool freaking tory lanes randomly had busta rhymes like there was guests everywhere that's awesome. awesome yeah gorillas uh, they had jenny beth there yep jenny beth they, was there yep. de la soul i saw came out with them Yep. Well, uh, Dale So was on the bill, so they, you knew they would right. be there. I was expecting them to bring out a lot of people just because they can do their portions of a lot of their songs, but they had just have so many guests on their songs that it makes sense for them to. Yeah, especially on the stuff. new the new album, Humans. And when Run the Jewels brought out Zach De La Rocha. Yeah, you sent me that. 
That was the most jealous I was of the whole weekend when you sent me Zach De La Rocha fucking doing close your eyes and count the fuck. I was like, God damn it. How could oh, I have missed yes. this? Yes. Obviously, the best crowd, our most lit crowd was Migos. We oh, left dude. 21 Savage early to make sure we got a good spot, and Migos was great. Yeah. Also, Kyle, you know, I spy Kyle. He had a random set, half hour set that was not planned until the day of. I saw that he uh, announced that, you know, the, the same people that do Founders, does Governor's Ball and does the Meadows, yep. they seem to be incorporating more of these surprise sets, something that Bonnaroo does a lot. Um, so I think it's it's pretty cool that they're starting to, it seems like they're really creating a culture where they're like encouraging people to bring guests and bring friends and just, mm-hmm. you know, make these festivals surprising, which I think yeah, is a really cool definitely. feature. They, they just do really good fe- festivals. They've had some bad luck with Governor's Ball, but overall their festivals right. are always quality and their yeah, lineups and I, are usually great. Right. And I also got a shout out, uh, I got an E-Crow rather, that I'm now a title <laughs> user. <laughs> I have a six-month free trial to Title, courtesy of the Meadows. So we, we've shot on Title many times with its clear third place in the streaming war, but nonetheless, I have it for free for six months. So uh, fucking stand. Hi- here we are, <laughs> Jay- sucking Jay Z's dick up and down, man. Yo, so I was actually thinking about it. So for next year, I don't know which one it'll be that be at, but I would almost guarantee vampire weekend headlining either governor's ball or meadows you know i'd probably say meadows just because they were they were already headlining governor's ball in 2014 so you know but they haven't dropped an album they're working on one right now reportedly supposed to be coming out next year they're Mm -hmm. from new york just makes too much sense and that would be a huge rocket for them something that's actually like relevant in terms of like a new or newer band i mean obviously they've been around for like the last decade but they haven't They've only dropped three albums, so that's a huge... Right. I, I would almost guarantee... Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think Red Hot Chili Peppers went over great as the uh, rock headliner for Sunday, and then after that, the biggest rock band was probably Weezer. So, yeah, getting someone a little more current go If you don't count way. Gorillaz, yeah. Right. Yeah. Great time overall. Let's jump to something that we had forgotten to originally talk about last week, but then we did an emergency pod to bring the people what they want. No, what they need. Oh, the Emmys. So I know you didn't get to watch live, or at least till the end, right? So, no, I, I didn't get to watch any of it live, but luckily almost the whole show was on the CBS YouTube channel, so I watched it all the ah. next day. I watched every so, uh, yeah, award I, I, and all the bits. I was able to watch the Emmys live, live tweeting the the winners and some thoughts. You can find all those at Pod. Also, if you want to hear any of our past shows or check out our Emmy predictions, which, I mean, if you really want to go see that after you know who won, Cool. SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. Also, subscribe. Subscribe on YouTube. We're going to be giving you guys some quality content moving forward. You don't want to miss it. So, I mean, there's a lot to, I think, unpack with the Emmys. Why don't we start with Colbert? So, did you, you obviously saw his opening monologue. What were your thoughts around that? See, I thought Colbert overall was good as well as being a good choice. He just had his one fatal flaw, obviously, with Sean Spicer. Yeah, you know, in in real time, it was like, it was just almost like shocking because I think that he was making the joke and you kind of saw where it was going, but then like Sean Spicer actually just being there and making a joke of himself was in that moment like very cool. But then as it got like away, like as people took a step back, they're like, oh, so basically he's just making fun of the fact that this administration is just blatantly lying. Yes, which is yeah, not not so great. But overall, I, I agree. His little like in between jokes and bits, I thought were really great. Like I thought the uh, interview with Emmy was gonna be so stupid, and then it was RuPaul and just saying some right. like, blatantly like 
outrageous and outlandish stuff that like I'm sure it was probably shocking to some people, but just overall I thought it was great. And then the the bit about John Oliver winning for yes late night host was that was hilarious. So yeah, I mean, it just in general like if you look at the trend for a lot of the award shows, you know, Oscars, Emmys, Golden Globes, Grammys. Generally speaking, they've been going with one of the late night hosts, the late night hosts on their network that the award show is on. But if we set that aside, you think about it. I mean, for the the political climate, you know, the statements are, uh, you know, all the people would make the attendees. Colbert or Seth Meyers is probably like the right sphere of political commentator right now because you don't want a Corden or a Fallon because they just wouldn't comment at all. And you probably don't want Samantha Bee or John Oliver because they're just too political and just not really good for the scope of the show. So I think Colbert was a great pick and overall like i liked his westworld bit a lot i think most yeah. of his trump digs were good and you know like the spicer thing is unfortunate and as, as everything he just said is, is true and it looked like a lot of people were surprised and you can look like Kumail on johnny was tweeting about how he was not comfortable with it and jason isaacs had a really like eviscerating uh, instagram post and i just don't like like everyone was so ready with their reductive takes about how oh hollywood is all preachy and here they're just normalized they're all the same and it's like colbert eviscerates trump and tears his administration down every week. He right. made this one mistake, and most people didn't agree with it. Just because some people were taking pictures with him, you know, it doesn't mean all of Hollywood is, you know, a bunch of frauds. I just don't like how people try and make those conclusions. Yeah, it's tough to to really parse out because I do think it was a poor poor choice and uh, a little yeah. tone deaf for someone that was like so was hitting like every note and then to like fall that flat, but. You know, overall, Colbert, I thought, was good. I, I think I could see him hosting for a couple more years if he really wanted to, especially as long as Trump is president, I could see him uh, possibly hosting. So why don't we move on to some other stuff, though, because I, I don't want to stay too hung up on just the host. Who, yeah, who would course. you say are, like, the big winners? of the- Yes, I mean, uh, obviously, Hulu, Handmaid's Tale, effectively sweeps right. drama, supporting actress, lead actress, directing, writing, and outstanding drama series. Hulu becomes the first streamer to actually win Outstanding Drama, beats Netflix. Netflix had the crown and Stranger Things up this year. Netflix never won the top prize by having many more nominations than Hulu, and Amazon hasn't won it either. So that's a great get for a uh, great win for them. Part of me is disappointed by Handmaid's Tale, like effectively taking the place of Game of Thrones, because with the year with Game of Thrones not eligible, I was kind of excited for the opportunity for the wealth to be spread, you know, maybe Americans gets one in or Better Call Saul or something. But mm-hmm. no, they just kind of ran through it. Everybody basically gave the Handmaid's Tale instead, which is fine. I think the problem is there's probably not enough awards. They could probably, like, recategorize stuff. You, can, you look at the limited series and anthology series, you could probably break up that stuff more. But overall, yeah. a lot of the things we were rooting for happened. Donald Glover got two. Grady beat out Jeffrey Tambor, which we were worried about. Lena Waithe and Aziz winning for... Thanksgiving, the best episode of Master of None Season 2 was great. She becomes the first black woman to win for comedy writing, which is really exciting. There was like Riz Ahmed won, and then Swayth won, and then Donald Glover won. And Kamel uh, Nanjami came out and like presented one of the awards. It was just like, if you were like a, a child of color watching this, you must have been like, oh wow, there's actually people like me who are getting noticed for their work. Which Kamel actually, I think, tweeted about saying something like, seeing this as a kid, I would have like... I would like passed out. Like, sorry, I yeah. Lost. I mean, and to that point, uh, when Sterling K. Brown winning out, outstanding lead actor in drama series for This Is Us, which we pretty much expected, you know, second year in a row, he's, he's won an award. 
he's the first black lead actor to win that award since Andre Brower in 1998. You know, like the fourth or fifth black guy ever to win that award. So that's great to see. And then Reed Murano, who won for directing for Handmaid's Tale, she's the first woman to win for drama directing since Nina Leader, 1995 for ER. So a lot of firsts, a lot of uh, firsts in the wilds. Yeah, I, no, just to kind of circle back to Sterling K. Brown, how could they play him off but give you know, Nicole Kidman, like, 10 minutes? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I think they were about to play Nicole Kidman off, and then she started talking about domestic violence, and they were like, yeah. all right, we can't really uh, step on this. But Sterling right, K. I mean, Brown's well, speech was great. Yeah, no, it was, and thankfully got to finish it backstage and, you know, the interview part. I mean, Kidman's a bigger star, so she probably gets more of a leash. But, I mean, we saw this with Inaritu at the Oscars when he won Best Director. I think you just kind of need to tweak the uh, program a little bit because people want to see these speeches. That's why we're there, uh, why people are watching. So you could probably like some of like like the variety talk series or the uh, uh, reality programming and some of those like other obscure directing stuff. Right. Put them on creative arts night. You know, they could still win. They could still get their speech. But the primetime award show. Let's make sure all those major speeches aren't cut off because I mean, if we're here to con- we're here to prop up. We're here to congratulate all these great performances and great jobs we'd like to hear their speeches right just to highlight a couple more things from the night i mean you talked a lot about this and i gotta give you some props big little lies had a huge night you called that and even scarsgard won yeah which i i was really surprised that scarsgard brothers having a huge couple weeks but there, there were some losers. I mean, Netflix, they won for San Junipero. You know, they won for Master of None. Stranger Things got a bunch of nominations, no wins. I mean, HBO Crown got also the took one the win. L. Yeah, Crown got one win. Uh, HBO also took the L for Westworld, only winning, what, one award? Yeah, I mean, it won, like, I think five technical awards right. at the Creative Arts Night. Okay. It didn't really win much. Uh, it didn't even win anything. I don't think it won anything I don't for think the so, major right. night. Which we had yeah, talked about. Is. Tied for the most nominations of 22. Not for form, but... I mean, we called that. Was it really favored in anything? I thought Tandy Newton had a chance, but no, Ann Dowd win because Handmaid's Tale, it was their night. The only other thing I think we were probably disappointed in was Atlanta not winning for Best Comedy and yes. Deep just rolling. Um, yeah. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, shout out for tying for the most Emmys ever and most for one role ever. Yep. It's, uh, I mean, she's just a juggernaut, and I would almost guarantee she'll break the record next year. With her last year as Veep. Silver lining to that, last last year will be the last season of Veep, season seven, as we said. Atlanta will, it hasn't even started filming yet, so Atlanta will not be in the next Emmy cycle almost certainly. So when Atlanta season two judge show up, there won't be a Veep to win. Yeah, it's so, interesting. I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't see them giving it to Modern Family again. So I think no. uh, Atlanta season two probably can get in there. It's interesting. I almost think like next year's Emmys might be the most predictable ones ever. Game of Thrones will win drama. People in comedy, that's pretty much just limited series, which I think will probably be up in the air. So they're going to have to do something to make it a little more interesting next year. Yeah, it was nice that a feud, Betty and Joan and Wizard of Lies, didn't play the spoiler we were afraid they would. Right. Uh, cause also, Don Glover, when he won for director, he's actually the first black director to win for comedy. Host. Yeah, awesome. Lawford. So we're going to wrap, wrap up the Emmys there, unless you have any other thoughts. No, that's it. Just uh, tweet us at NostalgiaPod. What uh, show were you most disappointed about? I know a lot of people are pulling for Stranger Things. This is us kind of disappointing, only getting uh, the one award. Yeah, let, let us know what you thought. I was actually just, I think when I was most pumped, other than Donald Glover winning, was uh, Riz winning. I mean, Fuck fucking yeah. night of, yeah, I was pumped about that. So Something else I was pumped about, uh, I, I don't know about pumped, but we, we talked about it, and I was pleasantly 
surprised and not surprised, J.J. Abrams directing episode nine of Star Wars. So yep. we talked last week about how we were hoping Ryan Johnson would be taking over for uh, Colin Trevorrow, and it ended yep. up being J.J. Abrams, which, I mean, if, if there was going to be someone else, it was most likely going to be J.J. Abrams. I mean, what are your thoughts around it? Yeah, my initial thought, and I think the kind of the consensus thought, is that safe pick, understandable pick. They wanted someone they know they can work with. Who better than someone you've already successfully worked with? That was our thoughts for Ryan Johnson. That also applies to J.J. Abrams because Lucasfilm was very happy with how The Force Awakens turned out. Now, anecdotally, since you know almost two years have passed since it came out, a lot of a lot of us can acknowledge that did rehash New Hope uh, here and there, and. You know, I think that was kind of the, the brunt of a lot of people's takes was, oh, what's he going to do? Just rehash uh, Return of the Jedi? Are we going to get a half-built Starkiller base, too? Like, you know, what kind of movie? Oh, Lens Flare. Like, you know, I, I don't think J.J. Abrams is going to willingly make the movie that he knows everyone doesn't want him to make. Also, he gets to take what Ryan Johnson leaves him with The Last Jedi. So I'm actually very happy that he's going to have a safe pair of hands. As we said last week, the reason they got rid of Trevor is because they don't want to mess it up. The sequel, the trilogy capper is too important to Lucasfilm. So going with someone like JJ, they know they can trust. It's not surprising. And again, I feel like anyone who expected some exciting new hire just you haven't been paying attention. That wasn't going to happen, judging by everything that's happened with Lord Miller getting fired and Trevor since leaving. Like that just that wasn't realistic. So given knowing that, why not have JJ come back? I think it's a nice pick. Yeah, it's safe. They're not going to have to replace him. They might do reshoots, but other than, you know, like the normal stuff that probably happened or that did happen with Episode 7, it'll be drama-free, which I think they're probably also trying to avoid. And, you know, J.J.'s going to he's gonna give a quality film that's going to stay true to what their vision is, and uh, I'm okay with yeah. that. I mean, I'm not like, – like we talked about last week, we're not looking for the, you know, the main movies to be doing anything necessarily – outlandish or like mind-blowing right. we just want them to be solid movies exactly and also a kind of un- unreported piece of information that followed this was episode 9 is officially moved its release date from may to december 20th 2019 which is great because we've talked at nauseam about how star wars in december is great have one a year and just dominate that month yep it's worked with force Awakens, worked with rogue one keep it going it worked with last jedi Han Solo, still currently in May. It's the only one in May right now. They haven't moved it yet, but they, there's no reason they don't move it later. But they, I don't think they probably will, but that's nice. Also, Chris Terrio is helping write Episode Nine with J.J. He's kind of a, a partner of J.J.'s from the past. He won a Best Adapted Screenplay for, or Best Original Screenplay, one of them, for Argo. But he also wrote, helped write BVS and Justice League. So... That's interesting. Awesome. That is really interesting. Well, definitely we'll be talking more about Star Wars as we get more updates. Star Wars is going to be dominating that Christmas money in 2019. That, 20, yep. that 20th of December drop. Damn. Too many people scrambling for some Star Wars gifts. All right. So why, why don't we jump to uh, the Foo Fighters here, man? So we've been talking about a lot of rock albums recently. You know, LC Sound System. Before that uh, was uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Foo Fighters dropped their ninth album, Concrete and Gold. And they, I mean, they've been dropping albums since, well, they started in 1994. I don't think their first album was till 95. This is their ninth album, like I said, and it's probably their most inspiring one in a, in a couple. You know, Sonic Highways was part of this documentary series, 
where Dave Grohl basically like anoints as like the new king of like rock and roll or like ambassador of rock and roll in a way was trying to show all these influences that could play into him and this album I think is almost a better does a better job of like showing the influences on on uh, Dave Grohl it's mm-hmm. funny because as I was listening to this album I was driving the car today listening to it I was like huh this sounds a lot like a Pink Floyd song. This sounds like an Aerosmith song. This sounds like uh, Across the Universe by the Beatles. So it was pretty, it, like, you really could hear different, like, classic rock influences on this, as well as, like, you know, typical Foo Fighters, power ballads with some, like, uh, throat-ripping screams from Dave Grohl. Before we get too far into it, I wanted to shout out the producer of this album. Uh, so his name is Greg Kirsten. So do you know who this guy is? Say that again, Kurt Angle. Greg Kirsten. Kurt Angle. <laughs> Greg Kirsten. Have you heard of him? No, I have not. He he produced Adele's Hello. He's been Sia's producer for the last couple albums. Oh, uh, okay. And he also Big was time. credited as producing Kendrick Lamar's Love. So this is a pop producer that they brought on to, I think, give them a little bit of a different sound. And they do experiment more in this album. They also had a bunch of huge guests. So Justin Timberlake does backing vocals on a song. Paul McCartney played drums on a song. Interesting. They had one of the guys from Boys to Men do backing vocals for them. So yes. They, yeah, they really brought in a lot of different people to help out and just to give this a different vibe. You know, it, it, you know I don't want to spend too much time because, like any Foo Fighters album, their albums aren't necessarily groundbreaking, but they usually produce one or two songs that they can add to their live show that create just a really deep catalog of really good rock songs. And I'd say probably the, the two or three to check out would be Happy Ever After Zero Hour, which is like totally different than almost any Foo Fighters song I've ever heard because it really it's a quiet song, which is not a Foo Fighters sound at all, but it's, right. it's an optimistic quiet song, which is different. Usually they go dark when they go quiet. Also, Make It Right was really good. It kind of changed up from Aerosmith to Kiss kind of going back and forth as they went from the verses to the chorus. And then uh, Sunday Rain, which has Taylor Hawkins, the drummer, on lead vocals. And had, uh, I think that was the one that had the Boys to Men as the backing vocals. So definitely check those out. We'll add a couple of them to the playlist, uh, which I haven't updated in a while. So I'll, I'll get on that, making sure I add some yeah, songs on there. Funny to add to it. So is this better than Sonic Highways? Yes. Where does it stack in their, their catalog? Oh, man, that's that's hard. Like towards the top, middle, bottom? It's probably like, probably like four or five. You know, their early albums, just like any rock band, are just, like, so much better. But right. for a band that had gotten really stale, I think there's enough here to, you know, keep you interested. It's 49 minutes, kind of long, but overall, like, there's nice. enough on here to be like, eh, interesting. They're, they're doing something. Right. Well, that's good. An interesting piece of this, too, is that they were originally going to record all this live, and then he was kind of talked out, out of it by uh, PJ Harvey. Yeah. Which I think is actually a good thing because I, I can't yeah, imagine them yeah, getting enough of like the sound that they were going for in a lot of these songs live because they do so much like vocal distortion and like, going from like highs to lows in terms of overall like pitch and sound. It, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to do it live. So good move by them. Right. Yeah. We'll see if the uh, rock trend continues with the Killers album out this Friday. Damn. Yeah. Their, their most recent single was... Uh, interesting like a love ballad so i'm not sure how i feel about it but we'll see right uh, moving on so this past weekend the box office i guess not really the box office but america in general was kind of taken by a cinema score of an f which there's only been 12 of in this century for the movie mother 
I guess you have to say it like that, right? Because it has an exclamation <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's only 19 Fs per thymus score, period. And like you said, even less this century. Yeah, Mother was not marketed extensively by design. So you might not have seen the trailer if you're listening, but at least until recently. But it's a new film from Darren Aronofsky, who is known for Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, and Black Swan, starring Jennifer Lawrence with Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, and Michelle Pfeiffer. And the trailer made it look like kind of like a suspenseful thriller, maybe some horror elements in there, but didn't really let on to what the movie was about. And, you know, the star power involved, the director known for getting weird at the helm. You know, people were at least paying attention to this release. And then we find out that, you know, as the reviews start coming out from the critics, which are generally, you know, I mean, so with the reviews, 68 on Rotten Tomatoes, doesn't sound that bad, right? Over 138 reviews. And the reviews are just kind of saying that it's, it's the movie is not ex- not what you expect from the trailers, and that it's really confounding, really, you know, tough to uh, dissect in your mind. But then the cinema score drops after the first day, and it's a fucking F. And you know, then all hell breaks. This movie has all these like biblical allegories that people just did not expect, and a lot of pe- scenes that are just, especially towards apparently the third act, that I haven't seen the movie, but in the third act that are just kind of like repulsing people and you know from everything i've gathered that generally people hate watching it but then a lot of people can't stop thinking about the movie and some of them will even say i was happy i saw it even though i hated it in the moment or i still kind of hate it like so it's just a really polarizing film and it's it's really interesting because that that hasn't that hasn't happened like this in quite some time and it's probably going to be the most polarizing film of the year yeah you know it's interesting for a movie that wasn't marketed and people didn't know a lot about People had a lot of expectations of what it was supposed to be, which, I mean, is that really fair? It, I, I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, why did people expect it to be that way? They didn't really know anything about it. You can't go in and say, oh, I thought this was just going to be a horror film, and then it was this. Like, yeah, I guess if you saw the trailer, you could have thought, like, this is supposed to be just, like, a creepy thriller. But, you know, I, I think Aronofsky's an artist, and you think about Requiem for a Dream or Black Swan, like you said, all those movies are emotion-evoking, and they're very creepy and have gruesome parts. I mean, there, isn't there a scene in Black Swan where she, like, peels her skin off? Uh, it's... I, I feel like... Yeah, Black, is, Black Swan's a lot in Black Swan, for sure, but Natalie Portman won a Best Actress for it, you know? Yeah, and Requiem for a Dream is also a very good movie with some really gruesome parts to it. So, right. I think this is, like, really, like, a piece of art. It's not necessarily good art, but it's it's evoking, which... And that's what's so nuts, that it's creating such a visceral, like, so, such vitriol, such hatred, such a distinct response from viewers, you know? Like, you know, I mean, fucking the Emoji Movie has a B cinema score. Obviously, that speaks to who sees the Emoji Movie. It's all relative. But getting right. an F. Like, you had that many people that were just so, so turned off by this film as they were watching. It's just, it, it's really dumbfounding. And it, it reflected in the box office, only seven seven and a half million. I mean, obviously it wasn't an expensive film, but uh, the word of mouth is not positive. Right. They had a thirty million dollar budget, and worldwide they only grossed thirteen point five million. I can't imagine with an F cinema score they're going to be making a lot more. So this movie most likely is going to lose money. Yeah. But real quick before we talk about J Law, speaking of the opposite of losing money would be getting more money. That's it. So it had 60 plus million in the second weekend you know it only took eight days for it to become the highest grossing september release of all time that's that's insane crazy and there's gonna be a second one yeah that movie 
yeah, so like you said, we wanted to talk a little bit about Jennifer Lawrence. You know, we've, we've shared our feelings on her in the past. Passengers came out. I'm not a huge Jennifer Lawrence fan. Where would you say Jennifer Lawrence's stock is at right now, given her last couple movies? I mean, Passengers was a flop. This is a flop. See, it's interesting because, like, the Jennifer Lawrence stock is largely attributed to her choices in film. I mean, excuse me, if we just look back at at the filmography and what's expected, like you said, Mother and Passengers are her last two releases. After that, X-Men Apocalypse, which wasn't good either. Then Joy, her third David O. Russell movie, also the worst one. Then Mockingjay Part 2, the last Hunger Games. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, it hasn't really been exciting for her since what? 2013 American Hustle? But didn't she get a nomination for Joy? Uh, yeah, she did, and that's the thing. She still... Right. We'll see if that continues. I don't think she gets nominated for Mother just because it's such yeah. a obtuse movie, such a tough hang, you know? Right. But she got nominated for all three David Lost movies. Obviously, she won Silver Lines Playbook, and she first got nominated for Winter's Bone back when she busts on the scene in 2010. So she's mm-hmm. really well-liked. I still think that's the case. And, you know, and she just... It seems like she's kind of been miscast a lot of that. I don't know. She's not like a great mystique in X-Men. You know, just no. they happened to cast her before she was a big star. In, uh, you know, First Class came out in 2011. Uh, so that was before she busted out with Hunger Games. And she has another X-Men coming out and end of next year. But before that, I believe in March, Red Sparrow comes out, which a teaser trailer just dropped for this, where it's uh, based off of a, it's a spy thriller based off of a book. And Jennifer Lawrence is the lead, and she plays a... Is it a Russian? Yeah, a Russian spy. And it looks pretty cool. So, you know, I don't think it's going to be Atomic Blonde-like action. Right. But it's a different role for Jennifer Lawrence. I think that's what she needs because she's kind of had a lot of misses and missteps and, like, tripping and falling like she does on the award show steps. It's funny you said that because, like, as you were talking, I was thinking, like, what does Jennifer Lawrence need to really, like, bring her stock up to, like, get a W here? And I was thinking, like, Alicia Vikander as Tomb Raider looks fucking dope and yeah the trailer came out today check that out i think if if j-law is gonna kind of that should have been j-law's role but she like decided to like go on this weird path making these weird movies alicia vikander the queen shout out the queen just jumping in and and her star is just i mean her stock is way up j-law needs to start kind of taking a, a page out of her book i think and making some better choices in the film she's making I mean, this might have been one of those art films she thought would have been, like, a huge... People look back and say, wow, Jennifer Lawrence is in that, but nah, she totally misread that situation. I mean, everyone says Jennifer Lawrence gives such a physical performance, and the way Aronofsky films with, you know, all the close-ups on the characters, you know, it's really all about uh, Lawrence, so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not really her fault that the movie is bad. It's really, I think, more about, you know, the script and, uh, you know, the intention of filmmaking, but, like you said, I mean, while Vikander has stepped up, you know, and she got all that love with uh, Ex Machina and The Danish Girl, and I think Brie Larson's in right now, and you know Emma Stone's yep. in right now. It's a lot of a lot of actresses in you know her age, you know late twenties age, and it's funny because we, we've known J Law for so long. We've only you know she's been a megastar, she's been a top earner for female actresses for many years now, and the body of work is not actually as impressive, especially when you look at uh, recently. So yeah, I really hope Red Sparrow is good. Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to wrap up there for today. Please tell your friends about us. Share us with anyone that you know. Subscribe on YouTube. Yeah. Right there. Hit that. And go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to find any other way to listen to or watch this podcast. 
leave us an iTunes rating or review yeah, if possible. What are we going to be talking about next week? We should probably catch up on the Deuce Yeah, a so bit. the Deuce will have had its third episode come out by next week. Vice Principal is underway. Star Trek Discovery comes out this week. Album side. And the yeah, album side, so. we have The Killers, Macklemore's solo album, Camila Cabello's solo album, as well as last week, Prophets of Rage and The Cool Kids came out, which I haven't gotten to yet. So we won't talk about all that music. We're but not going to talk about just Prophets putting of Rage. Just putting it out there for <laughs> everyone. And also uh, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, comes out this weekend. So I'm definitely going to make a point to see that. Ah. So that movie, but bunch, yeah, of, bunch yeah, of albums yeah. out that you can take your pick from. Check out the Tomb Raider trailer. Maybe we'll talk about that. Sounds good. I'll, yeah, I'll probably try to catch a movie this weekend, too. Kingsman would probably be the one I can get Julianne to go to, so that'll that'll work out. But until next week, hit us up at Martin Swagger, at Sheen World Peace, at Nostalgia Pod. We'll see you then. Peace out. All my days, I pray.